Welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes. I am your host. Today we are talking to Zach Walsh. Zach is a best-selling author and multi-hyphenate art person from Washington, D.C. He is the award-winning writer and director of the upcoming feature film Prosperity Creek and the co-host of the Brady Bunch recap podcast, The Brady Bros. On stage, Zach has played everything from Hamlet to the back half of the cow puppet from Gypsy, and he was once accidentally stabbed by a real sword in a production of Richard III. Zach is here with us today to talk about his podcast, to talk about how he became a best-selling author over the pandemic, and to discuss how the Shakespeare theater industry can do better by disabled people. I am delighted to share our conversation with you, but first, as always, I got a little high and Zach sipped on some coffee. y'all we are back with zach walsh talking about plague stuff zach what did you do with your quarantines oh i got so weird so fast <laughs> um like it started off normal i spent the first like month or so like i i learned how to knit and i got into building legos and i watched a bunch of movies like all the stuff that people normal people did but then again yeah it got real weird real fast i okay running down the list i wound up i did um a full-length musical on zoom oh. uh yeah because i thought that that would be fun and it was um but then most recently uh i adopted a bird oh wow that's cool yes I just wheeled him out of my room because he is very loud. He, um, all he says is peekaboo and he says it all the time. It is Aww, adorable. That is really but cute. I figured, I figured that wasn't really, um, that wouldn't add much to your podcast. <laughs> um, no, the, the big ones that I did was, uh, I, I started a show of my own with my brother and our best friend, David, where, we were called the Brady Bros, and we are watching through every piece of Brady Bunch media in chronological order. That's impressive. Um, yeah, because there's so much Brady Bunch, because they wouldn't let it die. They kept, <laughs> like, spinning it off. Because um, there's, there's a Saturday morning cartoon, and there's the Variety Hour. They turned it into a, an hour-long drama in the 90s. There's the movies, there's TV movies that like there's so much Brady Bunch on top of five seasons of the original show. Um, and all of it's awful. Like we're not fans <laughs> of this. Um, but we are firmly dedicated to seeing this to its completion. We're in the middle of season three right now. That is amazing. I didn't know that there were like hour-long drama versions of the Brady yeah. Bunch. Oh, it gets so weird. I'm really excited to get out of the main series and into all the weird spinoffs and reboots. Oh, I am going to go give that a listen, like, immediately after we get off this call. Because Thank you, thank you. Yes. That's my brand of weird. I love it. But the, the biggest thing and the thing I'm most proud of that I did with my quarantine time was I became a best-selling author, technically, okay um 
I uh, it was brought to my attention that uh, Amazon has a self publishing branch where they publish audio uh, uh, not audiobooks uh, uh, ebooks and paperback books uh, for nothing and you get a share of the profits and whatever. Um, but the thing that really made it click for me was that those self published books can still count toward Amazon's top ten lists. Huh. It gets better because Amazon breaks down their top 10 lists by genre and the genres get really specific and niche and they update every hour so <laughs> i figured out if i picked a rather unpopular genre and then wrote something that meets the the technical qualifications of a book by amazon standards like if i wrote the bare minimum for book uh in a niche genre uh, and then instructed anybody who wanted to buy it to buy it within a one hour time frame that I would get on a top 10 list and be able to call myself a best selling author for the rest of my life. And it worked. It got out of control. <laughs> I was number three in hoaxes and deceptions, which is a true crime subgenre. Okay. Uh, and that's really funny because number two was Bob Woodward's book about taking down the, the Trump White House. Oh, wow. Um, so I was right below Bob Woodward. I was right below the person who broke Watergate uh, with this nonsense that I wrote in one afternoon. Uh, and I was number 10 in parody and I was number 15 in lawyers and criminal humor because uh, the book was a confessional uh, true crime uh, novella, 24 pages of large print nonsense about all of my many crimes. Uh, chief among them being that time that I wrote a fake book to get on a best-selling list. <laughs> uh, and the book is called uh, Zach Walsh is a Bad Man Who Took Your Money. So, uh, yeah, so I did that. Uh, and again, like literally every, I, I act and any bio for the rest of my life is going to say Zach Walsh is a best-selling author. Yeah, why not? That might be my favorite way that I've heard anyone <laughs> spending their quarantine. That is Thank hilarious you. Yeah. and like the best kind of trolling. And I I love it so much. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our mutual friend, Lizzie Colandini, when she uh, brought up that you might be a good candidate for this show, brought that up and I was like, uh, I might have to pester this dude like over and over because I just want to talk about how cool this is. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, uh, Lizzie's the best. She was a very big uh, supporter in uh, this book, Becoming a Bestseller. She like <laughs> left a, a review on Amazon so that it would be more seen and yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Wow, what cool ways to spend your quarantines. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I yeah. I hope people will continue to buy your book. I, I just <laughs> have to. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I just got uh, my first royalty payment. Which, oh, wow. Uh, was wild. Yeah, that's um, really cool. Because again, this, this is a fake book that I wrote in an afternoon because I thought it'd be funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. That's awesome. You know, make money off of whatever your brand of weird is. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, kind of flipping the script a little bit, getting yeah. getting a little more serious, I suppose. Um, this season, we're kind of talking about how I feel like we had a lot of conversations over quarantines about 
like how the theater industry could do better by lots of underrepresented groups and mm -hmm. maybe some steps have been taken but I feel like we got stuck in the conversation a little bit. And so with you, I'm I'm interested in knowing how like the Shakespeare industry, honestly, the theater industry at large could do better by disabled people, where we're falling short. Um, any thoughts you might have on that? So uh, for me, um, in fact, I wrote you about this, that the label of disabled is something that I've been kind of wrestling with because um, mine is more of a intellectual and mental health uh disability it's still disabling which is what i've been coming to terms with uh but it's it's one of those invisible disabilities so i went to public school growing up uh and this is public school after the bush years and so everything was super standardized and put you in your box and if you didn't fit you were bad and here's an f Mm -hmm. um, and that obviously did a number on me. And I was kind of expecting that getting out of school, things would not be like that. And like, nah, you get into another institution and they have their own standardizations and their own um, bars for entry. And I feel like there's a lot of that in theater as well, um, where there's there's definitely an expectation that everybody can do the same thing. Again, a standardization, uh, which is a real problem. Uh, I, I mean, some steps have been taken, like, um, like the equity rule. Did you see this? That I equity, the actors, um, union, uh, they, I think last year cut down their bar for entry. You now just have to prove that you have been paid for stage acting in the past year. And now you can join, which is mm -hmm. a huge wild improvement over how exclusive they used to be. Granted, that's still a huge step. I haven't taken that step myself, but it's nice to know that that is now an option. So there was some good steps, um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's still, it's rough. Yeah, 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 definitely. I I feel like I have been searching for people with disabilities to talk to on this mm -hmm. podcast and as I've gotten further and further into the season and found that it has been difficult to find people. Um, mm. A conversation I had with my boyfriend was like, well, I think that makes sense because I, I think that they have less access in the first yeah. place. So it's just like harder to find people who can even speak to this because yeah. they don't have the experience and yeah yeah I think you're right like it's great that like we're lowering the bar a little bit and we're, mm -hmm. we're finding ways to make things more accessible can you speak to like in your experience like how maybe the the bar for entry has has excluded you uh if you're okay with that if you oh, feel yeah. that has happened <laughs> um or... oh, all of the time I still do real small like gig type work um and and stuff that really only does like one or two nights a week or weekends or whatever because I can't I can't do a full-time job my my brain can't do it I'm too much of a mess right now and I know that a lot of once you get into this is your job theater it's a full-time job and you have to clock in at this time and be very prepared and and uh again follow the protocol essentially go through the structure 
uh, and obviously for someone like me, structure can be a real challenge. Additionally, prior to the uh, rule shift, when I would go on auditions, like my worst audition uh, story was I went up to New York. Uh, I was, I was, no, I was actually in New York at the time. And um, I went on a bunch of auditions and the one, it was um, everybody else in the room wasn't newsy. Like everybody was this like young, fit, handsome dancer guy. And they were all like, so their entire lives have been building up to this. And I was like, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not that. And so I walk in the room and they literally like, they're just like, oh yeah, all right, whatever. Because I didn't have a lifetime of preparation the way that these people did. I didn't have access to all of these uh, coaches and training since I was young because we have no money. And even if we did have money, that's another form of school. And would I just fail out of it? Everything I've done is self-taught and kind of by necessity. Um, and so I've definitely faced a lot of people being like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Bye. Um, or, oh, you're weird, by, um, which, yeah, fair, but also, you know, but doesn't also, not hurt. Yeah, but also ridiculous. Like, I, I think that people learn in different ways and we have to account for that. And like, yeah. I, I certainly like growing up in school know that I learned a lot more in my bedroom after school mm -hmm. like reading it myself than I ever did listening to a teacher and that's just how my brain works and luckily like I was able to do that for myself but not everybody can even do that but I, I think that that's that's a valid way of learning and you shouldn't have to have like some fancy institution on your resume for you to yeah oh man oh that that's a that is a big one I'm fortunate that for the most part, people don't care that I don't have a, a degree. Um, for the most part, they are, at the end of the day, they are looking for talent, but, uh, or at least that's the story that they're selling. But, um, but no, that, that has come up uh, several times of like, oh, well, why not? And I'm like, oh, because I think differently and I have no money. Like, I don't know what, um, but no, to, to speak to your point, um, my father, who is a teacher, uh, he's incredibly supportive of me in that um, he really is like an advocate for what he calls project-based learning, which is that um, sometimes people learn by just doing the thing and learning through the process. And he recognized that that's how I navigate the world. And so he's like, he, talk, he talks about that, teaches that to his kids, stuff like that. And so that project-based learning idea is something that I carry with me. Um, the other thing that's entirely separate that isn't necessary, I also have a tremor, mm -hmm. um, a full body tremor, a very pronounced tremor. They don't think it's anything. Uh, they've said just a central tremor, but I actually need to go to a doctor and get that checked up, get that reviewed. Anyway, um, that has also come up many times, and I can only imagine people with things more visible than that, um, what that would be like. Like my brother walks with canes. He doesn't audition anymore once he started doing that one, but that's why he doesn't want people to be like, oh, you're, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. with me, um, again, it's, it's not that bad. The biggest one that I get is that I'm nervous. Like if you hand me the thing for the cold reading or I'm handing you my sheet music or resume or whatever, like you can see it's shaking a lot and they're like, oh, are you okay? 
and there have been a couple shows where like they've had to cut things because again i'm my whole body shakes um so that just gives me like a peek into what it's like to deal with something physical i can only imagine again for people like my brother or, or others how thoroughly inaccessible all of this is um if your disability is not invisible like mine is yeah i i imagine even when it comes down to just like the basics of the architecture of some of these spaces that it's mm -hmm. inaccessible yep. um yep yep and then just beyond that yeah like uh i wish i could remember her name i know her first name is ali but there is a uh, uh, stroker yes ali stroker like she won a tony and that's yep. amazing and that representation is awesome but since it happened i've just seen her over and over and over again and i'm like well then that's not representation that's uh -huh. one that's one person like we need to have there i know there are more people out there who are just as talented as she is so like again to, to go back to my brother he's a brilliant artist he's now a writer and a director and stuff like that and um before he had to start using his canes uh one of the shows we did together was at the Fringe Festival, the Capital Fringe Festival every year. And we were at their like main base theater, which is on the second floor. And so we had to climb a steep flight of stairs every day. In 2015, he could do that. By 2017, he couldn't. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's yeah. something that we talk about where like when we think back on that, he's like, oh, I couldn't do that anymore. I literally would not be able to work on this show. I just wouldn't. Um, and that's the case with so many, like that is something working with him, living with him. That's something that's always in my mind is like, is there a ramp? Is there a seat on the aisle? It, where, where are we going to put the canes? Where are, um, and again, I, I can't speak to his experience with that, but I can only imagine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, thank you for going as far as like, explaining some of the experiences you've witnessed um yeah i think that's still valuable to have that conversation um but yeah also thank you for not speaking for him i'm sure he yeah. appreciates that yeah thank you for all of that um it is interesting again um like i have referenced both my father and my brother and that's because uh, all three of us live together and um we all three of us right now are dealing with disability mm. um, because again, I I have a history of hospitalizations. I'm struggling with my medications. I like it's a, again, I can't work a full time job. Um, and my father uh, got hit really hard by COVID. He has mm. very bad long COVID symptoms. He's in his sixties, and so it and has real bad asthma. So that was a perfect storm of just ruining him. Uh, and again, my brother with uh, his physical limitations and. Uh, so like all three of us, it's, it's, I understand that this is a very unique situation that all three of us are both dealing with our own thing and helping to other people. So um, I definitely, I know that I am uh, perhaps more fired up talking about all this than others might be. Um, but literally I am surrounded by people living with disabilities during a pandemic. Uh, and it is the nightmare um yeah. but uh yeah but no I I thank you for bringing that up I think that like moving forward from this pandemic 
we are going to see a massive uptick in people who do live with a disability because of yeah. COVID, just like your yeah. father. So I'm glad we're having this episode. Um, I think we're probably going to have to consider it even more so than we had to in the past. Or, I mean, we should have been considering it so. more so I would in the really, past. Really hope so. Yes. But yeah, I hope so as well. And speaking of which. Do you have any thoughts of like Shakespeare plays, Shakespeare characters you would like to see performed like with your experience I, in mind? I've got really strong thoughts about this. Good. Um, <laughs> so to uh, cycle back to my brother uh, prior to, again, his uh, physical uh, state getting worse. Um, he was an actor himself and it's been in my brain for so long about how hard I want him to play Richard III. There is a perfect, complex part that setting aside the physicality of it, he would have been perfect for when he was acting, and now the thing that prevents him from performing that shifted him entirely to behind-the-scenes work can totally be integrated into his natural movements and and everything and that is that is a hill i will die on is that i would love 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 the opportunity to do that uh because i also think uh we've obviously with both richard and um oh what's his name in the tempest oh god you know who i'm talking about there's a character who is also again the language that they use because elizabethan times uh not great but there's still two very prominent complicated characters who are described as having um, very overt physical disabilities. And mm. um, I think we've kind of moved beyond uh, able-bodied actors just kind of pretending. Um, I think that it's, um, I think it's cool that there are those, similar to how, um, like the conversation that we've been having for the past, like, God, really only like decade about how Othello really has to be played by a person of color. Um, like, I think we're kind of having that with uh, people who have disabilities as well, or at least I hope that we're starting to. Um, so that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you would bring that up because, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. It's like we have this this career path that is generally inaccessible, but this role, this 400-year-old uh -huh. role that is for those people like why are we giving it to anyone else the the other thing is um so i played hamlet that was my first role out of school uh and it absolutely broke my brain i got way too deep in it got super lost <laughs> and freaked out as but, one does uh, part of that <laughs> yeah uh, I actually think it's kind of funny that I was like 18. I played Hamlet, freaked out, and stopped acting for two years. Like that's that is literally <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. That's li like that is that is not a story that an 18 year old gets to tell. But no, the reason I was able to get so lost in that character is because I identified so much with the mental health struggles of him. I am on I'm on the autism spectrum, and I saw a lot of that in Hamlet. I saw a lot of the, where he's very um, eloquent and self-aware, but he also thoroughly cannot connect with anybody. He is so alienated um, and it is entirely internal. It's, it's you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, And yeah. so there was a real easy, like my, all the research I did was looking, reading scholarly essays about diagnosing Hamlet about like, okay, 
what are they actually like obviously they didn't have the language for it back then but these conditions have existed forever so what in modern language were they trying to allude to here and can someone use that and so I basically found an argument for, yeah, Hamlet has a lot in common with the things I've been diagnosed with. And I was like, oh, great. Of course, then I took that to be so just get worse. Um, <laughs> so I I like I made all the things that I try to combat and, and kind of dial down so I can in, uh, integrate myself into polite society. I kind of just gave up on that and steered into the worst impulses of myself. And that's <laughs> a slippery slope to destroying yourself for a part. Uh, but uh, but no, I've always really connected with that. And, and that's uh, obviously since playing it, that's been like tattooed on my heart, you know? Hmm. Um, huh. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I I love that idea. I love that every new episode, somebody brings something that I'm like, why are we doing boring cookie cutter versions of Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> like everybody has these great, amazing new ideas that like oh, i would love well, to see that. my so again i was also 18 so hamlet is an interesting one because um shakespeare clearly wrote at least the first two acts with him being 16 and then when he cast i forget the actor's name his friend who played all his roles uh back in in uh, elizabethan times um he that dude was in his 30s and so literally halfway through the writing of the script he was like oh uh hamlet's 30 now and so it's really inconsistent about is hamlet supposed to be a teenager or is he 30 it, i think it makes more sense that he's a teenager and since i was a teenager when i played it he is a teenager who dresses in black and spends the entire play complaining <laughs> about how his stepdad is ruining his life he's like a whiny emo kid like that i knew that guy i was that guy you know what i mean it was That's that's the more tolerable version to me because then if he's 35 and doing the same thing it's yeah like, right what? move out just go <laughs> <laughs> like 35 year old is still in college yes what is that he is clearly a teenager yeah yeah i agree i agree that being said um that's not to exclude older people from playing the part like ian mckellen just played it and absolutely yeah go ahead 80 year old ian mckellen sure you're hamlet now um, I, i'd rather part of watch him than another 35 year old but part of what's um is so cool about how we've come to terms with shakespeare in the present day is that uh at least if you're doing it right uh it's honestly more progressive than most modern plays in that we have pretty much entirely eliminated any bars of gender or race or age literally anybody can play any part and you can find a way to justify that because the text is so malleable and i think that's super cool yeah um, yeah that's like so the reason for the season of this podcast <laughs> yeah like we gotta talk about this more and plant those seeds because like i feel like you and i are fortunate in that we've had experience with shakespeare in like the dmv where people do experiment a little bit with some of mm -hmm. these things but like other places in the country I don't know if it's happening as much. And I don't think that it's with ill intent. I think it's more with 
I haven't thought of that before. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this season of this podcast will uh will plant some seeds in some people's heads and we'll we'll start to see more of that elsewhere. Is it is it Caliban? Is that the character from the Tempest? Yes, I, I that's that's who I thought you were thinking of. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. I wasn't one hundred percent sure, and then like a couple minutes into the conversation, I was like, I think I think it's Caliban. Yeah, because he gets described as like looking like a fish or looking like a yeah. beast. And like some interpretations of that are like very colonial and that's like, uh-huh. oh, you're seeing a black person for the first time yeah, and true. you're being super racist. But I, I think there is an argument to be made. Like I have seen people go the full monster route and I think there's mm-hmm. there is also an argument to be made for like, I have never seen a person who looks different from me in this way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. My dog's name is Caliban. (laughs) It is. I, I, when I tell Shakespeare people that I generally get like a, Hmm, that's a, that's a choice. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Going back to my love of Richard the third. I, I talked about how I adopted a bird, but Prior to this bird, I, for a very short amount of time, had another bird that was, uh, again, disabled. His legs didn't work, and he was all twisted up because he spent... We didn't know he hatched. Our other two birds, they hid him. And so he never had time to spread his wings or walk or anything. We found him, like, a week too late. Uh, And so when I took him in and started trying to foster him, I named him Richard the Bird. uh, Because he was (laughs) scarce half-made up, cast out before his time. Um... And uh, so, no, I definitely appreciate a good Shakespeare name for a pet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe Caliban wasn't the best name for a dog <laughs> in hindsight, you know, but I was 22 and the version of Caliban I had experienced was a caveman. And I was like, he says I'm a foot licker and my dog licks my feet. <laughs> and now I'm no, like... What I- When I took the bird to the vet and they were like, what's his name? And I was like, Richard. And they were like, your bird is named Richard? (laughs) I was like, it's a thing. Just be cool. (laughs) I think it's a great name for a bird. I love like mundane names for pets. Oh, yes. My dog's name is Bob. Like, yep. Beautiful. Yes. (laughs) All right. I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, yeah, unless uh do you have anything else you would like to add before we do that yeah I okay would, go for it i would love once again circling back to plug the brady bros yes uh the podcast the brady bunch recap podcast we especially i would like the opportunity to plug it because a shadow has been cast over us we wound up accidentally podcasting ourselves into a celebrity feud <gasps> because um Two of the actors from the original Brady Bunch, a year after we launched our show, launched their own show called The Real Brady Bros. <gasps> what? And they refused to acknowledge us. They are doing the exact same show as us. They took our title. They It's a very similar logo. It's very, And we, all of our likes and comments on Facebook and everything are from people being like, oh, do you want to talk about how how it was shooting this episode? And we were like, we're different people. They came a year after us. Oh um, my god! So no, uh, we are just the Brady Bros. We did not work on the Brady Bunch. We just think this is funny. Um, <laughs> and they were they were just on the Masked Singer 
and they like it's it's bad it's really bad it's i really didn't expect to get in a, a feud with b-list celebrities like that's um, that was not the intent <laughs> it's like, kind of part amazing of why we, <laughs> part of why we thought brady bunch recap podcast was funny was because it's so irrelevant like no one is talking about the Brady Bunch and then literally two of the actors were like, let's talk about the Brady Bunch and also steal Zach's name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> if you want to check out the Brady Bros, uh, just the Brady Bros, uh, nothing else, no other words, uh, you can find us wherever you find podcasts and we have a Facebook page and a rather inactive TikTok. Uh, so <laughs> hell yeah, check us out. We'll make sure to share all of those handles over here as well. So all y'all can <laughs> Thank find you very them. Much. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, oh, also- and if you want to, if for whatever reason you want to buy what is technically a book, Zach Walsh is a bad man who took your money is available on Amazon. Hell yeah. Oh, I love both of those projects. I... I'm a little scamp. <laughs> I can't wait to plug them. It's awesome. <laughs> um, Thank you Zach- very much. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate that uh, that the yes. universe and fate like aligned and we could could do this. I was really yes, hoping absolutely. I would get you on. It, very, very happy. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow The Brady Bros and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. I will also drop a link to Zach's book in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the podcast so much. And next week, we will be off for Thanksgiving, but we will be back the following week. Not sure what that episode's going to be yet, but there will be an episode. So we will see y'all then after Thanksgiving. Have a happy holiday, y'all. A thousand, thousand sides to save, oh, lay me where sad true lover, never find my grave to weep there.